0: Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host Jessica Powell and in today's episode, we're looking at a different way of doing church, microchurches or house churches. No matter what you call them, chances are you may have heard something about this model over the past year during COVID. Of course, this isn't a new way of doing church. It literally goes back all the way to the first churches. But it's a model that still feels unfamiliar to many of us in North America. Over the past year, however, there's been a growing interest in microchurches as a model due to the public health restrictions we've been living with. So in our episode today, Mike Mahorder from our Church Life Cycles team has a conversation with John Pritchard, one of the founders and leaders of the Edge HC, a network of house churches that began in Calgary and has expanded all across Canada, from BC to PEI. If you've ever had questions about the microchurch or house church model, you're definitely going to want to listen in as they talk about why the microchurch model is such an intriguing one, what it looks like, and what it takes to start one. So let's get to it. Here's Mike's conversation with John Pritchard.
1: Welcome to today's Propel podcast. What is a church? Although we recognize that a church is people, for most of us in North America, churches generally revolved around Sunday worship services, buildings, budgets, staff, and programs. But a new way of looking at church has been emerging, often called house churches or micro churches, and we're going to be using those terms interchangeably during this podcast. And although they're growing in popularity here now, they're really nothing new. The early church changed the world in its first couple hundred years of existence, meeting primarily in homes. We have seen explosive growth in China, India, Iran, and other countries, primarily through microchurches. Although this seems to be a model that works especially well in certain cultures and during times of persecution or hardship, microchurches are becoming more of a thing here in Canada. At Fellowship Pacific, we're exploring this model as a viable way of planting new churches, especially as the percentage of our population who want to be involved in more traditional churches declines. (laughs) And then there's the coronavirus. COVID has thrown a wrench in how our churches operate for over a year now. And judging by current infection rates, it may be with us for a while. It has created special challenges for us as we try to figure out how to be the church when we can't all meet together on Sunday mornings. We don't really know what's gonna happen when restrictions are lifted. As we have explored this model, we have been helped a lot by our guest today, John Pritchard. John is one of the founders and leaders of the Edge HC, a network of house churches in Calgary that has expanded from BC to PEI. Welcome, John. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Mm, Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here and being able to uh, just share some things that the Lord's doing.
1: Fantastic. Maybe we could start with you just giving a bit of a brief introduction to yourself and to The Edge.
2: Sure. Well, um, as you said, my name is uh, John Pritchard. I actually uh, grew up in Langley and White Rock. And then my uh, parents moved me to, to Alberta, which I didn't forgive them for a long time, but um, I'm over it now. And um, yeah, then uh, I accepted Christ when I was about 17 years old and really felt I was joining quite a revolution. I had never heard any of this before. I knew about um, God or about Jesus, you know, just you know what you hear on the street, sort of thing. But um, when I came to to Jesus and gave my life to Him, I really felt it was it w- it would change everything. And and I wanted to give it to give it my all. So um, I asked someone, you know, what do you do when you want to give God everything? And and they said, well, you be a pastor or a missionary. <laughs> and so. <laughs> So I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll be one of those. I didn't know much about God's calling at that point. I just thought, well, that's what you do when you're serious. So, um, so I asked, well, how do I be a pastor? And they said, well, you got to go to Bible college. So, went to college, went through bachelor's program. A church took a took a risk on me, which I'm really grateful for. And I, I pastored um, conventional churches. Um, legacy churches for almost 20 years, but during that time, just felt I had lost something from that initial um, introduction to Jesus. I felt I had lost the the revolution part of it, like um, I felt I'd become part of a system, and and I didn't, I just became discontent, and um uh, after a while, that, content, that discontent just grew, and I thought there's got to be something different, something more, something more like what I read in Acts. That's what I really signed up for and, and wanted, So, but I felt my role had become like more an event coordinator, a, a Sunday morning coordinator, and I was measured by that event and how many people came to it and how many people liked it and how many people gave money towards it and I eventually just thought I I just don't want to do that anymore so um began to look at different ways of being the church and we ended up going to South Africa just to get a different version of Christianity and there God showed me some things that I I really resonated with and um this idea of just simply following Jesus into people's lives—that's um, what I really took a hold of again. And um, then look for a model for it. I didn't set out to do house churches; it just kind of came along once I had that idea of I want to just follow Jesus into people's lives and let Him live through me. And it seemed like house churches was a good um, a good vehicle for that. So talk to some people about it. Some people said, yeah, let's do it. And um, we started First House Churches in Calgary here. And then it um, and it just multiplied from there. Not intentionally, actually kind of unintentionally. We were just starting one, but it kind of multiplied from there. So that's kind of the story.
1: Okay, thanks, John. How How then did the Edge get started?
2: Well, the edge just started from those couple of house churches that we started right away. Um, And uh, yeah, it, like I said, we didn't really intend to start a network. Um, Vision wasn't that big. It was just, it was actually (laughs) the, the vision was actually to get smaller and get more intimate and get closer to people. So that they could see Jesus live in us rather than from a platform or a stage. And so while the vision was actually to get smaller and closer, um, God multiplied that. And, and um, I know it's kind of cliche to say God multiplied it. But, but I have to say that because it was not our intention to multiply this or, or become a network of any kind it was actually kind of a little bit selfish. This, this is what we want. So this is what we're going to do. And then other people came along and said, we want to do that too. And so then we just began to talk to people on how to do that. And the edge started from a couple of house churches and then multiplied leaders and house churches from there.
1: Great. We probably get more into that in a little bit. But one of the first questions that constantly comes up is what is a house church? What is a micro church, both from the standpoint of how is it different than um, a more traditional or, you know, I I like the term legacy church um, on the one hand. And on the other hand, what distinguishes it from just like a small group or a community group that would be part of of a church?
2: Uh, Two of the questions we asked ourselves at the beginning was you know, we want to live as Jesus lives. So what are we doing that Jesus never did? And um, and then just what did Jesus do that we are not doing? And so um, with those questions, we, we came to the conclusion, we need to simplify things. Let's eliminate our dependency on buildings and programs and events and actually simplify to what if we just built relationships and then in that context, Jesus would do his work and and build his church. And we really felt that was the concept. And so we acted on that and moved away from, from buildings, programs, and events, and just focused on building relationships with people. So um, in answer to your question, I, I guess, you know, that's what I would say is, is we don't have buildings and we don't do programs and we have very few events. The events we have, we're not dependent upon. Um, it it really is relationships. And so, if people don't come to the events, it doesn't mean anything to us. We, the relationship is still there. So, so that that's a different mindset, and that goes into small groups too. It, it's, I really believe, um, micro churches, house churches, that idea of sitting in a room with a group of people and looking around the room and saying, these are my people. This is my church. Whatever we do as the body of Christ, this is the group of people I'm going to do it with. And so whether it's youth ministry or children's or, um, hospital visitation, you know, this is my, this is my people that I do it with. And um, typically small groups are, are one ministry of a church. And so those people in that small group are involved in a lot of other things, but in a house church, this is my thing. This is, this is what I do. And I do it with these people. Does that kind of answer your question? Or would you like more out of that? Or? Yeah,
1: no, that's very helpful. Thank you. I know Brian Sanders in his books, uh, Underground Churches and Microchurches, mm. he talks about the ecclesial minimum, right? Uh, the, the the kind of the lowest denominator for something to be a church. And he would put it at, at uh, worship, community, and mission, right. which is kind of a helpful way for me to think about it too.
2: Right. Yeah, when people, at the beginning, when people asked, you know, Kind of what we're doing i i often said well we're lowering the bar on a whole lot of things <laughs> which which doesn't sound very very powerful but that's, that's essentially what yeah. we're doing
1: there's a vision yeah. for you come, come help us lower the bar that's right. <laughs> but you've touched on this just a little bit but my next question is why house churches like what's their value what advantages do they have over legacy churches um hmm. And um, and, th- and then I've got I guess another couple questions related to that are are there particular settings that work best for micro churches like an urban or rural or suburban hmm. and and who seems to be most attracted to this model
2: right um, Well why house churches I guess um, simply because it's the vehicle that seemed to work best for our, what we had in our heart to do. And, um, and that was get back to the simple belief that life on life is the best way um, for Jesus to live through us and change the world. And so, um, so essentially, that's, that's why um, we just believe in the home. We believe in close relationships, simple relationships, ones that God has already given us and maximizing those, not getting distracted by other things, not letting our time being taken away by other things, but focusing our energy and time and resources on building those relationships the Lord has put right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and we believe the home, in the home, the the home is, a, is something given to us, it's a gift to us. Um, most of my profound experiences as, as in being a Christian has happened either in my home or in someone's home. And when I open my home to someone, I'm opening my life to them. And when someone invites me in their home, they're inviting me into their life. They're saying, here's where I live. Um, you can see things here probably that you didn't know about me, but I'm letting you in. And I just think that's a powerful statement, especially in our days. And that's why we think home is is important. Hmm. And so why or where would it best work? I, I, I guess I don't have much of a comment on that. I think it can work anywhere. Um, certainly at the beginning, the the nations, the countries, the settings that you talked about in the beginning—part of the reason why it has worked there so well—is because people can't afford bigger buildings and and all that, and so it's kind of out of necessity. We work in Cuba, and the house church movement in Cuba has been exploding as well. But part of that is out of necessity, and you talk to the Cubans once in a while, and. And they say, "Yeah, we can't wait till we get enough money and we can put up a building." And we're like, "No, don't do that. <laughs> stay, stay in your homes. You, you do by necessity um, what we wish we could do. Um, we do on purpose." And um, and so, yeah, I I just think it it can apply in in any setting. I suppose that's what's part of the beauty of it and why. I, why I think it's, it's um, as you said, it's the past, but it's also, I think, our future. Um, I think this is where, where we're all will be headed. And um, who's attracted to the model? Um, well, we've kind of gone, we've, we've seen some change in that. You know, um, when we first started maybe because we were younger, I guess. <laughs> um, but it started with young adults and um, not so much youth because youth were tied into youth groups, but more what we used to call college and career, more young adult people that were ready to do something different, I guess. And so they saw it as kind of a new thing. Um, and we knew that isn't sustainable. Um the new thing is only new for so long, right? Um, but we went with it. We wrote it. We, you know, the the young adults, we, um, they led it. They they made it their own. Now those young adults are young families, and they're still connected with us. And um, but the demographic is actually changing. Um, probably our newest group of people are like sixty or over, like it's, it's folks that um, uh, I don't know how to put it. I don't, I don't really know the reasons, (laughs) but um, older people um, are, are seeing this as, as something they really want to be part of and kind of join in and, and finish with, I guess. I don't, I don't know, but Certainly, the 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 largest number uh, in recently are um, are middle aged or older. Interesting. Yeah,
1: that would be uh, would be interesting to understand a little bit more why that ha- is happening that way.
2: Yeah, I should really maybe maybe we should put out a little questionnaire or something like, um, and try and and discern discern that. But
1: yeah, it'd be helpful. Uh, my next question is why a network? Like what what does a network look like? What value does it provide for the house churches?
2: Hmm. Um, well, the house churches are, are all autonomous. They, um, they set their own direction, mission. Um, they, they set their own existence. Um, the network is very um, loose. Um, you can join the edge network um, with a handshake sort of thing and then where it goes from there is really up to you as a house church but but what we do as soon as as soon as a group of people or even or even a couple who say we want to start a house church when they when that relationship is built with them then we're all in we we come and help in whatever way we can. Um, the Edge is a charity, so we have we have funding that that comes in. People give towards it. We use all of it to um, to go to these these people and and help, encourage them and train them. So anything that comes in goes back out to the to the network. Um, as I said, we we really didn't intend a network. But as the number of house churches grew, we saw the, the strength there was in relationship and in helping each other, encouraging each other. And then um, a few of us would go around visiting almost like the old circuit preachers sort of thing and visit them and encourage them and stuff. And then we realized, okay, we can't just keep this all in our head. We, we need to put something down to be able to give to the house churches because um, it was growing and the distance was making the circuit preacher idea a little difficult. Can't go to Prince Edward Island all the time. So we had to put some things down on on paper that were more like a more like training and encouragement and ideas and suggestions. But the network is only relational. Um, we don't we don't dictate anything. We don't tell the house churches how to do anything, but we will support them and, and uh, suggest and tell them what's going around the network and what others are doing. We'll use all that to, to try and help them be um, as successful as possible.
1: Okay. Uh, that brings up another interesting question, and that would be what does, what does accountability look like? In a micro church or in a micro church network,
2: right. Um, accountability is all relational, so uh, there's no reports or or exams or you know anything anything that we put through people through to give them a grade or anything like that. Um, accountability is all relational, which for us is the strongest accountability. So. The house churches that I work with—I used to work with all of them, but I don't now. We have a—we have what we call a coaching team, and um, so there's a few of us who work with specific house churches. And I can tell you the leaders um, what they're going through, how their children are doing. I can tell you what they're teaching. I can tell you what they're learning personally, and what they're because of relationship. That—that's how we hold each other accountable and they hold they hold us accountable too and it's all out of love and relational being not not because the network might suffer because they're not living right or whatever it that that's not the the concept at all it's it's totally uh, family and and we just care about each other so um so then I'm I'm going to uh, guess the next question is well what happens when a church does things that that don't seem right. Well then then we use you know Matthew 18 and one of us the the coaching team person will talk to them and say hey I know this is going on and and stuff or whatever the issue is we'll just talk to them about it. And you know what, 80%, 90% of the time, that's all it takes. It's just someone to ask the questions. And then um, if it needs to go further than that, then that, that coaching team person will bring someone else in. And um, and if it needs to go further than that, then the Edge has a lead team. And it's, it's just people that serve the network. We don't have any staff. So there is no staff members. I'm not on staff. No one is staff. So then it just comes to that group of people and say, you know, this is an issue um, that unfortunately we're going to need to, to make some decisions on. So then we'll go to them one more time. And if it just doesn't work out, then, then we say, you know, it's, it's probably not working for us to be a part of the same network together anymore. You're going in a different direction than us. And, and they use, they will recognize that. And then we agree to part ways. But in 15 years, that's only happened once. So
1: hmm. okay. well, I don't know if
2: that's where you were going, Mike, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. there well, you go. <laughs>
1: you know, it, it's interesting. The You can tend to go kind of two different directions in this whole area of accountability. On the one hand, right. um, I was listening to a, a microchurch podcast where they were actually talking about accountability recently, and, and, and they seem to go kind of Automatically to the yeah churches are about control, and uh, and so they can't understand how you can do this without control, Um, which probably says one reason why they're in a micro (laughs) church. (laughs) But yeah, but on the other hand, there there is a need for legitimate accountability. All of us are people under authority to some degree, and so um, just you know it's an important question. So.
2: Right, and 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 honestly, when they when they get a hold of it, um, the churches multiply in one of two ways. Usually, one is um, we have leaders within a present house church that want to start a new one, and so we walk with them and help them do that. The other one that's happening more and more now is adoption. There's there's groups springing up, especially during COVID. Anyone that will meet together, these people are finding each other and then they're starting something. And then as they get going, sometimes they want to find others who are doing the same thing. So they'll find us or something and talk to us and we'll, we'll establish this relationship and they become part of the edge network. And so it's kind of by adoption that way. And, um, when they do that, either when we start one or when we adopt one, when they come into the network, they're understanding this is, this is give and take, right? Like they're actually coming into accountability relationship because they're becoming part of a bigger group. If they didn't want that, um, then they wouldn't. And we've had that happen um, several times. Groups contact us and then we... We tell them how we operate, and then we don't hear from them again because they they want to be even more autonomous than what we we work with. So,
1: you you mentioned how you started when you began, but how do you start a micro church? Um, what are there models that seem to work best? Um, mm. And also, you know, if you're interested in, if someone that's listening here is interested in starting one, what what is going to best ensure their success?
2: When, when we have someone contact us or whatever and, and say, we'd like to start something. Um, if they aren't part of one, then that's usually our first suggestion is, is become part of it. Cause especially from legacy churches or from small groups, people think they know what a house church is, that it's just a church in a smaller setting, or it's just a small group that is on steroids or something. And, and they, um, so they think they know what it is, but lots of times it, it surprises them. It, it is different. Um, and we think different in good ways um, because you're, you're dependent more on what, on what the Lord says for you to do. You're asking him more questions about that because no one's telling you what to do, including us. So some people say, "How do I start a house church?" They want an equation. They want an agenda, and we and we don't have one. We don't give it to them. Um, so he's the first thing you need to do is <laughs> is ask Jesus about it. If if you are sheep and He's the shepherd, and you need to ask Him where you're going, what you're doing, and we will help you do that. We will. We have a prayer and connection team that will pray with you through this and, and help discern that vision for you, because that's what you need uh, to start is, is you need an encounter with Jesus that gives you a, a vision, a mission. And if that's, if that's what you start with, well, I, I should say, that's what you have to start with. Um, you can't start a thing. In other words, a meeting at three o'clock on Sundays and you just invite people to it and see, you know, you need to you need to hear that calling and that mission from Jesus. And and we will help you do that. And then we'll help you wordsmith it we will help we will help draw it out. And then once you have that, then, then, um, then you know where where to go and what to do. So I'll, I'll give you an example when there are some house churches that actually don't have a very strong missional component and usually it's because they are hurting people and my there's a lot of people coming out of legacy churches that are hurting and and feeling dis, disillusioned and, and especially in covid wondering the first question you asked what is the church what what is this what what are we doing and there are more and more people asking that question and they come out of painful painful circumstances and they're looking for for a group of people who will bring healing and joy and encouragement so that they and strength so that they can then move out but they need that healing place first and so so that's what they start on and we're okay with that as long as they're clear on that and and, and have that in the DNA this is this is who we are I think identity group identity um, is is key that that's uh, you need to sort that out what are we going to be there are other house churches that are high mission highly missional and that's their DNA that's what they start with and so stick to that don't let someone come in and try and make it a you know, a counseling time that's not what you're about you know if you're a missional group if if you want to do mission this way then then stick to that and God will bring you bring you those people
1: well I think if somebody is 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 listening to this and they're interested in in starting something out um, they would be able to extract some some decent principles from what you were just sharing. Right. And I think the whole idea of not starting an event, but but really feeling God's call yeah. on on people and figuring out why it is that you want to pull them together.
2: Right. Is, and uh,
1: it's pretty important.
2: And some would say, um, uh, Actually, a lot of times if they're starting one in their neighborhood, they're saying it's to reach my neighborhood. And so, okay, well, then you, you can have another couple or two join you that aren't in your neighborhood then just to provide that core. But you, you got to be true to what God's calling you to. If it's to reach your neighborhood, then then that's what your group's about. That's your mission. And if you do anything else, then you're failing because God gave you the mission. And so you need to, you need to flourish in that and stay to it. But, mm-hmm. but know what that is
1: yeah so I pastored for several decades mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 um, there are you know a lot of practical and infrastructure type questions that come up when I'm thinking about micro churches things like um, constitution and bylaws mm-hmm. yep. societies Act charitable status um, things like that uh, how does that tend to work with the house churches in your network?
2: It uh, doesn't really. <laughs> None <laughs> of that stuff really works. <laughs> we have, um, again, as low a bar as possible. So we have charity status, but only because people want to give to the multiplication of house churches, or they want to give to hurting people that our people come in contact with and, and because it's relational, there's lots of, of relationships that, um, that happen with neighbors and all that who are in need and other people want to be able to support that work. And so, so we believe charity status is important for us, although we hold it very loosely. If, if all of a sudden for one reason or another, Uh, that charity status was jeopardized we would give it up it's not a it's not a big deal people people do not give for the receipt Um, they give they're generous because they want to help people and they can do that without going through those channels so um, so we have because we're a charity then we have we have three four people who agree to serve in the positions that CRA requires we have a set of bylaws that's maybe two pages long (laughs) that's it um and uh it's just to satisfy the minimum requirements for it and that's that's all we do um the rest of it is is as life happens sort of thing
1: okay so if I were part of a uh house church that was in your network would um, would the get my giving be receivable through the edge? Only if you how?
2: only if you gave it to the edge.
1: Okay. But okay. what
2: typically happens in house churches is they are they are gathering their own funds to meet the needs that the house church is in, in contact with. Okay. Or the opportunities that the house church is in contact with. So there's no receiving that goes on then.
1: Okay, interesting.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, how do how do they tend to do things like baptisms and weddings and mm-hmm. things like that that have typically been done by churches?
2: Yeah, well, baptisms they each house church does their own, um, and we may or may not know about it. Um, sometimes we find out afterwards and all that, and all that is is great. The more life that is just happening and and people coming to Christ and being baptized and all that, that is happening um, just as life happens, the, the better. We, we love that. Um, so that, that can happen within a house church easily. And it's happened in bathtubs and hot tubs and lakes and rivers and everywhere. Um, the weddings, there's um, there are, uh, let's see, think three of us that are licensed and so they can call upon us if they choose to um, for for weddings and stuff and so so that's what usually happens when there's okay. when there's a wedding there's a few of us that have our license to be able to do that for for people within the edge okay yep
1: so you might have to take a trip out to PEI then uh...
2: I hope so. I will I'd like an excuse <laughs> to do that. I think we will anyway. We're we're wanting to support them out there. They they just started and and having a great time with it. So
1: okay. So how does a how does a house church keep its meeting um just from being kind of like a tiny normal church service? Mm. Like I, I've seen I've seen uh, video of churches that are meeting in houses and somebody standing behind the lectern preaching and people are sitting in rows, um, which just seems to, to be odd to me yeah. if you were going to go into a house church type of thing. But but on the other hand, communicating the word is an important part of of uh, our, our worship and community. So... What what does a typical house church meeting look like?
2: Right. So, so I can describe what typically it looks like, but um, but the truth is it it can look like whatever that group decides it should look like. Um, as part of a network, we we want to support them in whatever model mission and anything that they that that they set their minds to we want to help them flourish and whatever that is and so we do have a couple that um that sit in circle and there's a there's there's a podium there and and um they have a a schedule they go through and stuff um but typically, the ones that operate like that are either um, ethnic um, house churches, or ones that come out of um, a traditional setting. It's it's usually not long before things change and become a lot less structured and and kind of informal, except in the ethnic ones, because that's how they grew up. So we have Um, We've had like Spanish and all kinds of ethnicities. Um, I'm thinking of one right now, they call themselves the Himalayan house church because they're, they're refugees from Bhutan that were all in the same refugee camp in Nepal. And then a few came over and they just kept sponsoring others to go. Now there's, now there's, you know, a group of 40, 50 of them. And, um, and that's how they, they function. And that's because it's cultural. And, and so we're not, we're not going to change that, but, but we hope to help them find life within that structure, even though, (laughs) even though certain structures are real hard to find life in, but, but we, we help them to do that. So, um, but typically, um, when, when, when people ask us this question that are, um, maybe, you know, an adoption case, if, if they've, if they've grown up within the house church, then, then they kind of know the typical culture, but if they're coming from like they're, they have a group and they've done some things and then they come, they say, so what, what should we be doing? And, you know, again, we don't tell them what they should be doing, but we, um, I say typically it, it's acts 2 um you know 47 around there where there's there's teaching there's prayer there's fellowship and um and breaking of bread or like worship communion that sort of thing and so we say we say we encourage you to develop a rhythm around learning teaching Worship, singing, prayer, what, you know, that sort of thing. Fellowship, eating together, doing life together, and then mission, um, how you're going to impact other people. And that may be as a group or it may, it may be supporting individuals, if, if that makes any sense. It, mm-hmm. Not all our mission is done as a house church. It, every family is on mission in their neighborhood and then if they come together, then we support them in that mission. That that's one way we, we do mission as a network. Um, so that's that's typically, but does it? It doesn't have to be in every meeting. In other words, teaching prayer all, doesn't have to be in every meeting. Um, you know, it it doesn't have to have the same time slot. Like it it's it's how the spirit is leading, how life is moving. That sort
1: of thing. Okay. Yep. Now um you mentioned that that none of you are staff. So the the bivocationalism or co-vocationalism seems to be a a high value for for you. Um why is that?
2: Hmm. Well it didn't didn't used to be. When we started, um, Uh, I was employed by a church that God blessed us with to connect with that enabled us to start house churches. And they, they paid me to do that, um, which, which was awesome. I'm very thankful for it. Um, And then another one, another staff of that church um, felt called to the same. So they, he, joined me in doing house churches. And um, and then it came to the point where it was right for both the Legacy Church and for us to move out on our own. When we did that, um, you know, obviously we didn't have the budget and all that from the church. And so we had to decide, are we going to ask the house churches to support us as leaders in the network or is there a better way and and eventually we came to the conclusion like over a year or so we thought and prayed about this worked out different scenarios came to the conclusion that the network a house church network needs to be led by volunteers by people called to serve it, not by employees. Um, the other thing is the, the funding that's brought into the network needs to go back to it, not, not just to support one person. Um, so if one person is, you know, pick a number $50,000 a year, imagine how much that could do if that money was spread out through the house church network. And that, those, those thoughts just took a hold of us and we just, and you know, there were three of us at that point that had been on staff and now we're moving out. And so the three of us, we just decided we can find jobs. Um, we'll pray about that. We'll have the whole network pray for jobs for us <laughs> so that we can relieve the burden from, from the network. And they did and we did. And each of us have amazing jobs that that complement our work with the EDGE so well. And and so we're very grateful for that. But mostly, it's the concept that um, we don't want to be dependent on staffing. Um, We want to develop leaders who sense the call and it becomes more of a team. a team concept of leadership and leadership development rather than a, you know, a a small group of people.
1: Okay. That's helpful. That's from the network side of things from the house church side with that by vocationalism or co-vocationalism. Is that something that is typical in the leadership in the house churches?
2: Oh, you mean like are any of our house church leaders paid? Yeah, no. No, that um, that's actually never been, never been the case. Um, not because we dictated that, but it just has never. It's it's always people who have jobs that are wanting to do this as a ministry and and as a their expression of being part of the body, and so um, we haven't had anyone seeking employment that way. Okay. I. I should backtrack on that. Sometimes, um, ethnic the people coming from different countries will look at that as a as a way they can apply for a job, and so we have had that sometimes, but um, but it's never followed through. That's not something we do.
1: Okay. So, uh, how has COVID affected the house churches in your network?
2: Well, at the beginning um we were the only show in town (laughs) we were we were the thing that was happening because all the all the traditional conventional churches were closed down and so people were gathering in their homes then the government figured out that you know it's our fault um it's the home's fault (laughs) for COVID and that's where all the transmission is taking place so then they they flipped it and no one's allowed in homes and that's, that's been, that's been tough on us. Like we, we, um, we're compliant people um, at, you know, at the beginning, certainly we can, we can deal with this. We can, we can do whatever we need to. And it's relational. And so relationships can stay intact and that has happened. Um, but the life Um. Uh, the life of what we're talking about happens when we come together relationally, closely, and in life on life, face to face. And um, we just, I just talked to our house church last night, just saying the, the grief that I have and that we're all experiencing because we haven't had that for so long. And Zoom, as wonder if is, wonderful as it is, is such a low substitute so um, there are some house searches that have just not been compliant and and have met all along and there are more i don't know i don't know how far this is going out but
1: there are
2: there are more and more um, coming to that conclusion that that our life has been taken away from us in that we can't meet as a house church and and be be life on life together and and enough is enough it's gone on long enough and and so they're finding ways the warmer weather helps cuz we can meet outside at least in Alberta here um, we can we can do almost anything outside and so uh, so a lot of groups in Alberta here at least are are doing that outside, but um, um, in Ontario, where it's almost complete lockdown, it's it's just by Zoom right now, and it's been hard, it's been tough.
1: Yeah, in BC here, they they just relax things so that churches can have services outside, but you can't do it at a house. So
2: yeah,
1: they obviously are. Are, are seeing the church in a particular paradigm right uh they're trying to be accommodating and trying to help but uh, it uh, it is tough for those churches that are meeting in homes that
2: uh right and we and in alberta here we we have you know seven months of winter and so so that was hard on us but now the weather is starting so more and more people more and more groups are meeting in, in parks and and different places like that, and so, and so it's feeling better. But, um, yeah. So.
1: Yeah, okay. I guess uh, a final question: Are there any resources that you would recommend to someone who is interested in planting a micro church?
2: Hmm. Um. Mike I think you're the resource guy you you (laughs) you would have a lot more to to say about this than I would probably but we both know um Neil Cole has um put out some wonderful things about how to start small cells small churches and stuff like that um one of the first things we went to um was something that he was calling like a greenhouse and we went to that and, and that's, that's what convinced us of the vehicle for this being a house church. And so Neil Cole, and then, um, at, at that same place, we discovered, um, uh, um, Holter, Hugh Halter.
1: Okay. Um,
2: yeah. Um, tangible kingdom that, that informed us a lot. Um, Alan Hirsch has written a ton of stuff. He, he's moved quite a bit into APES, the, the fivefold ministry, which has been so powerful for us because we believe that a house church is a, if a, is a perfect incubator, greenhouse for the fivefold ministry. And so we've been really focusing on that recently. But Alan Hirsch, The Forgotten Ways, um, Permanent Revolution, uh, that sort of thing. Um,
1: okay, I know you're being a little humble here, but you also have a greenhouse event, mm, right, for training?
2: Great, yeah, so.
1: Let's not forget that as a resource. Here.
2: <laughs> well, one of, the things, one of the things I mentioned before was um, when we would go around like these circuit preachers and encourage the house churches, it was all just out of our own heart and mind, and then we realized, you know, that's actually not good enough. <laughs> Even the disciples had to write things down so that it could be passed on better. And so, so we had to write some of this down and we put it in the form of an experience rather than just a, mono, a manual. And yeah, we call it the greenhouse in it. And so um, whether it's an existing house church or a new house church, we offer that. And lots of, lots of people have taken us up on that. And and so there's a few of us that just go around and, and, and yeah, give the greenhouse experience. And then we also putting, putting something on our website called home church basics course. Um, it's going to be eight parts. We only had the first two done at this point. Um, but we're working on that just as a way of, of, of saying, here are the questions you should be asking. So, you know, as I, as I said, we don't dictate how this happens or how you start, but we do believe there are some questions you should ask along the way. And at each stage, there's questions you need to ask yourselves. And so that's that's the basis for that. Okay. Yeah. And, and then uh, we, I should us. Sorry, Mike. I just say our best resource is us because the, the people that are part of the EDGE are, are actually very passionate about this. And if you, like I've said lots of times, will you come to Manitoba with me and help a new group that wants to start out? And there's always people saying, yeah, I will do that. It, they, it, it's, it's part of the passion that's grown up with them when, or that's grown in them when they feel so strongly ab- about what, about what God's doing about this movement that God's starting, people just will invest and line up and say, let me help some way. So we're, we're available too. And there's a lot more like us.
1: Okay. And I should just say to, uh, to the people who are listening to this podcast that, um, <clears throat> we're hoping to set up a, uh, a, a greenhouse event with the Edge. Um, uh, we're hoping to do it online, obviously, because it's COVID. But uh, if you would be interested in being part of that, you could let me know. I'll put my email uh, in the show notes of this. We'll also list some resources uh, that could be helpful for you in that. I just wanna clarify that I'm not in this podcast suggesting That we throw away our current church structures or strategies Hmm. still being used by God to introduce people to Jesus and to help them become committed followers. What we are suggesting is that our current church models aren't going to reach all the people that God wants us to reach for him. So in the same way that the apostle Paul was prepared to become all things to all people, so that by all possible means he might save some we need to be willing to expand our models to reach more people. So if you are interested in exploring this further, check out the resources that we will list in the show notes. If you would be interested in planting a micro church or being part of one, contact me. As I said, my email, I'll have my email in the show notes. If your church would be interested in planting micro churches, please let me know. And if you have further questions or topics you'd like to see answered in a further podcast on microchurches, you could email them to me as well. And John, I just want to thank you for taking this time again. Our Mm -hmm. guest is John Pritchard, uh, who is with the Edge HC uh, out of Calgary. Uh, Really appreciate the time you've spent with us today and the the wisdom and experience that you have brought to our conversation.
2: Mm if I could just say one last thing, Mike, and and it just came out of what you were just referring to, and that is that um, we we don't encourage people to leave their church experience. Um, if it's meaningful to them and they want to stay connected, We we fully encourage that. Just because you're part of a house church doesn't mean you can't go to a worship service any longer or anything like that we we just encourage all of that and I really believe that that there should be a way for legacy churches and micro churches to work together mm. and unfortunately I haven't seen it yet Mike I, I've talked to a lot of of legacy churches about starting house churches and and to my knowledge not one has has, been, has done it yet. And I'd love for you guys to be the first and, and help you do that. Um, I just think it's so possible, could be so powerful.
1: Okay. Fellowship Pacific, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, John. All right. And thank you all for taking part of this podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're interested in learning more about microchurches or are intrigued with the idea of starting one, then check out our show notes because there is a whole list of resources that will be really helpful for you. And of course, no matter what you're dealing with, our team at the Fellowship Pacific Ministry Center is here to support you. So check out our website for a full list of resources available and to find contact info for our whole team. You can find it all on www.fedpacific.ca.